Hey guys, I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie. And you're listening to the Real, Raw, and Relatable Podcast. We promise to always keep it real. The content will definitely be raw. And because of that, it'll always be relatable. Um, today we have a special guest named Heidi. Hi everyone. Um, Heidi wrote a book called. It's called. I'll, I'll tell you. It's, <laughs> it's called Relationship Ready: How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. I didn't want to mess up the beginning. I was like, I knew it's how to stop fucking randos and cupcakes. I was like, but I don't. I don't remember the beginning part. <laughs> I call them a completely wrong book, and then they go by it. I'm just not, you know, the right one. <laughs> Um, as you guys know, Taylor and I really like fucking randos, so we're yeah. gonna learn something. <laughs> well, that is a good point. I will just say, like, uh, that I will just say that if you're enjoying fucking randos and it's working for you, keep doing it. But if you've come to a place where you don't want to fuck randos anymore, but you don't know how to do anything else, then this is where the book makes a lot of sense. It really, I mean, it does. And even like as I was reading it, I was like, I've always been in denial. It's like, you know, like you know sex is sex. It's chill. And I'm like, but sometimes I do want a relationship. And so reading the book, I was like. Oh, I have this and this. Oh, oh, you do this. Oh, maybe it's that because it's just fun. <laughs> I just have to tell you both. I'm so thrilled that you got your copies of the book and you actually read it. Like, I, I mean, I, I just feel like any, you're, I just anytime. Oh my god, I'm like stumbling over my words because it's like anytime that anyone reads it, I'm just like so grateful that somebody like thought it was worth their time to open it and read it, right? Because it's like you guys, y'all are busy. Everyone's got like lives and you know, real work and side hustles and podcasts and this and dating and relate like all this stuff. So it's like, it just means the world to me that both of you took the time out to like actually read it. Um, and that you had the time to read it before we got on the show together. So thank you so, so much. And it, it didn't feel like I'm, I've never been like a self-help book person. I've always been like, Oh, I'm not going to read these self-help books. You know, it's fine. And then like read it and I was like, it did not seem like those typical boring self-help books. Like there was times I was like, I, I we talked about in our last podcast that I like cried in one thing and then I was like cracking up at another and I was like oh my god <laughs> well I love it and I did go I did structure it like in a certain way like the first half of it is mostly memoir so mm-hmm. basically all my shit is on blast for the first like 75 pages of the book because I just feel like in the second half of the book I ask you to put your shit on blast and do some of the exercises and do some of the work that are outlined for you and so I just feel like it's only fair if I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable with me or whoever you're going to share any of it with that I am vulnerable with yeah. you so that's why that's partly why. And I like, yeah, that's why. I, put I it felt like way. I already knew you, like reading it, and then like talking. I was like, "Oh, I already know her." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. So, all right. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an expert? Yeah. So, um, so basically, I'm a speaker, author, and relationship expert, and um, I, I. 
I'm trying to figure out exactly where to start. I think I'm going to start in the middle, which is that, you know, I was about two and two years sober when I bottomed out with men in relationships. And here's what happened. So basically I'm like two years sober. I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I like don't drink. I don't do drugs. I go to work on time. Like my only vices that were left were like parking illegally and fucking whoever I wanted to. (laughs) So I like distinctly remember at this phase of my life being like, I do what I want except drinking, you know, like I just really, it was like kind of, I was like on this kind of like self-will, like just doing whatever I wanted to. And so at that stage, I had made this arrangement with this guy that we were going to like, just get down. And it was great. Like at the time I felt like, oh, I'm so sexually empowered. I've seen sex in the city. This is what I want to do. No strings attached. I do what I want. I get my gym time on. I get my recovery time on. I get my bang time on. Like this is what we're doing. And, um, (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, so, you know, the only kind of problem with this was that this guy had a girlfriend and he didn't really care either. So we just like would get together and get down. Mm-hmm. And after a couple months, he broke up with her. And then maybe a month or two after that, he came to me and he was like, Heidi, um, I don't know. Could we like go to dinner and get down? Like, I just feel like I'm objectifying you. Like, I'm not really sure about this. And I was like, well, yeah, we could like go to dinner and get down. But like, that would be dating. Yeah. Like, that's what dating yeah. is. And he, he was like, well, I was really clear with you from the beginning. I don't want to date you. And, um, the bottom kind of fell out for me. And I realized that, you know, months prior when I had made this arrangement with him, it might've been that I really felt good about it. But that by the time this happened, I realized I had been lying to myself for at least a month or two, because at least since he'd broken up with his girlfriend, I had been hoping that he would dump her and choose me. Yeah. And I feel like that's normal too. I feel like a lot of girls go through that is they have like that small slimmer of hope, especially when he like dumps his girlfriend. You're like, Oh, it has to be for me. Like we're seeing each other. We're doing all of this. Like, you know, it has to be for me. No. Yes. A thousand percent. And so for him to be like, I was clear with you, this is not an option. I mean, I just was like totally shocked, you know? So kind of the bottom fell out for me. And I, I kind of, I called a girlfriend who, um, had some work for me to do. And she's like, basically took me through the work that I've outlined in the book. And, um, and it took me a year to do it. And I never would have agreed to do it if I would have thought it was going to take that long. <laughs> like never. I was like super desperate. And I felt like, oh, I'm going to do like a 14 day like dick detox or something. Right. Like I just didn't think like I never in a million years. I think it would take me 11 months to do this. Now, I only say that because like I currently have clients that I'm working this program with that it's taking them like six weeks to get through. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's it just like I was partic- I was like oh, particularly wow. stubborn and slow about how I was yeah. going to do this. So. Anyway, uh, I never would have agreed to do it if I would have thought it took, it was going to take that long, but I did. And I did all this work. And what happened was, is that it completely transformed my perspective on the accessibility of love and relationships to me. And I realized that for years, for most of my life, in fact, I had lived in a world where I felt like love and intimate, like deeply intimate and sustainable relationships were for the other people, the beautiful people, the rich people, the, you know, fill in the blank people, whatever it was and not for me. And it wasn't until I did the work that I outlined in the book here that I realized like, I can have all of that. I can have all of that. I largely just have to kind of get out of my own way and stop behaving in these patterns um, that I've been doing for a long time that kind of sabotage my ability to get to this. So when I finished the work, um, I thought I was like, oh, okay, well now I've been not dating for like 11 months. I'm just going to like open my front door and like bump into my husband on the street, right? Like that's hello. Like I deserve that. 
right? Like, also, do I need to go to more grocery stores? Like, how do I make this like Meg Ryan rom-com happen in my real, like, how do I become a Kate Hudson in real life? Like, do I need to go to, do I need to get a maid job so I can be like made in Manhattan? You know? So I just was like really waiting. I was just like antsy for it, you know? And, um, and actually it took me another nine months of dating until I found my now husband. And, and that, you know, is amazing. So, um, but the point being that eventually I start, I realized like this work was transformative for me and I happened to be able to get into it because it was kind of adjacent to the recovery work mm-hmm. I was doing around my alcoholism. And like that, I realized like not everyone might, I'm using air quotes, be lucky yeah. enough to be, <laughs> to be an alcoholic or uh, whatever. And there are women out there that might need these tools that might never otherwise come across them. So mm-hmm. then I decided like, I'm just going to write a book about this. And I actually, I had my last day of my, and I, my original plan was like to work my day job at the city of Portland and write this book on the side, but things got like a little dicey. And so eventually I ended up actually in October, October 2nd of 2018 was my last day at the city. And I gave my notice and I was like, I'm going to write this book over the next year. And on October 1st, 2019, I published the book on Amazon. Yeah. I love that. Wow. And like, it's, it's so relatable. Like, I mean, the whole entire book, there wasn't a time where I was like, oh, I can't relate to that. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, well, that is, that is so sweet because part of the reason that I, like, part of the thing that keeps me going, like, it's embarrassing. There's a lot yeah. of gnarly stuff in there. And like my mom read a copy of it. My brother read a copy of it. Like part of the thing that really kept me going through, like writing it was like, look, if this makes, if I write this, And it makes one woman out there realize that she's not alone, Mm -hmm. you know, that she's not the only one that feels like she didn't get the handbook on this stuff or doesn't understand how to do it or can't get it right. Like that is worth it to me. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, I feel like me and Katie have all, I mean, we haven't been in like, like as far as like situations, because some some of your situations, no judgment, but I was like, oh, girl, (laughs) that's part of why I didn't want to put it down though. It's like, oh. Um, but it was, but it like almost made it better. It was like, okay, but she's really been through some shit. Um, me and Katie both joke that we're gonna be single forever, but I think that's just like, uh-huh. you know, we're we're not we're not we're not that old. You know, I'm only, I'm 24, she's 23. But like, so, yeah. Oh, you guys are yeah. young. But you go through so many like shitty relationships, like like bad relationships, and you kind of just get discouraged. You're like, all right, well, maybe it isn't for me. You know, like, what if something is wrong with me? You know. Right. Right. It's so, it's so easy to like take all that. Some of, some of the shitty relationships I were in was about being young and like learning and like having to grow. But some of them were about like the choices I was making around the people I was dating. And like, that was stuff that even once I got older, I didn't know how to change until I looked at it, you know? So it's like a thousand percent. Like I, I have been in some shitty situations. Ultimately, I always say, and I I say this to everyone, I say your past is what shapes your future. So those two shitty situations ultimately led you to where you are now. So yeah. Yeah. And for me, a lot of them in large part, like between having had the experiences of those relationships, having learned from them, I've done a lot of therapy on my own around them. Like those things all make me, I consider myself like uniquely qualified to help other women that have been in these relationships and been in these places that I've been in. And so that's, that's why I write, that's why I wrote the book. And that's why like I talk on relationships as often yeah. as I can. Um. So in your book, you refer to the word cupcaking. Um, can you kind of explain what cupcaking is? 
Yeah, it was kind of risky to put it on the cover <laughs> since it's not like a generally accepted term yeah. of um, lovingness. But so one of the things, my my now husband, his name is Jeff. Jeff and I were dating and we were talking to a girlfriend of mine after something. We had been in a thing and she was like, oh, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, we're going to like go to dinner and then like maybe go to a movie or something. And she's like, oh, you guys are cupcaking. And I was like, what is that? You know, and she's like, oh, you know, it's like cupcaking when you like first date someone and like all you want to do is like just be in their armpit and like, you know, <laughs> cuddle up. And it's like, and I'm like, Oh my god! <laughs> so it's kind of made up, but I mean, that's like my favorite. You know, that is like the you know that part when you like start dating someone. Oh god! Think about when you're dating someone that you like, and like the first night that you stay at their house, that's like a work night that you have to get up for work in the morning. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like a weekend. It's not like whatever. It's like you're staying at their house on a Sunday night, and you got to go to work on Monday. And you're like, you wake up that Monday morning, and you're like, oh my god, there should be like cupcake leave. I should be able to petition my boss to let me have the day off because I'm cupcake. Yeah, there should be. Like, I can't come in saying I want to be in my new boyfriend's armpit. Exactly, because I'm, like, in love, so sorry about it. Have somebody else run the the numbers for the whatever, you know, like I'll be over here cupcaking. So I do feel like that is just that blissful, you know, period of time where, you know, you just, like, Oh, you just want to be in their armpit all the time. So yes, that's what cupcaking is. Um, so in your book, you have like, I don't know, I don't want to be dramatic, <laughs> but you have probably have like 10, 10 or 15 yeah. things that you talk about. That might be a little dramatic. But so one of the first ones you talk about is Brad. So did you like ever <laughs> I did. I did. Okay, so Brad um, was the first boy that ever asked, you know, asked me out. It was in the sixth grade. I got a note delivered on behalf of Brad from someone else. Now, part of it is I can't tell all the story exactly because I can't remember the pseudonyms that I gave everyone. So I do not use, I don't use anyone's real name in the book because like, it's one thing for me to decide to put my shit on blast, but like some of these people probably don't, you know, whatever. So anyway, this one gal delivered this note to me and, um, and asked me if I wanted to be Brad's girlfriend. And like, of course, of course I want to be Brad's girlfriend. Like, Absolutely. A thousand percent. I'm, you know, how old are you? was I in sixth grade? 12, 11, 12, right? I definitely want to do yeah. this. No, I was 12 or 13. Uh, I don't know. 12 or 13. Yeah. Oh, my, my stepdaughter's 13 and she's in seventh grade. So 12, you know, yeah. so I'm like 12. I'm definitely, but either way, like I'm down. I want to be this guy's ride or die. <laughs> and then I realized like, I do not know who Brad is. And then I'm like, whatever, that's okay. That's even better. I could like, I could like get to know him for who he is and like not even, you know, it gave me this like weird moral high ground as a 12 year old (laughs) being like, I'm not shallow, you know, or whatever. Right. And then literally, you know, so I had like 72 hours of just pure bliss of being Brad's girlfriend without knowing who he was. And then, you know, (laughs) three days later, this little gal came up to me and was like, Oh, are you dating Brad? And I was like, yeah, he's like my boyfriend. And she said, ew, that's, (laughs) Gross. <laughs> so how did you break up with him though? Did, like, did you like what it you... I sent I sent a note back to him um via the girl who had sent the no. note to me. And I I think I might have even said, like, I'm really sorry, but I don't actually know who you are, and so I can't do this. Um, because I was, you know, I was just so, you know, it's like that sixth grade, our sixth grade egos are so delicate. We're so fragile and, you know, oh my God. And I didn't even care about the, you know, the girl who had said you, like I didn't, she wasn't a friend of mine. I don't really care about her opinion, but just like that experience of feeling like I got caught, like caught, 
like, uh, like kind of like gotcha, like, haha, everyone's making fun of you, but you don't even know it. Like that, that really was like something that stuck with me for a long, I mean, longer than I'd care to admit. Yeah. Um, I eventually did figure out who Brad was and actually he's a lovely human and we <laughs> became pretty good friends in high school, um, actually. And, you know, joked a lot about that experience, but, um, but yeah, he was, he's really, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> Um, so you talked about your first real boyfriend in your, in your, um, in your book. And that was the, I think it was the summer camp or the, when you went to build houses. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you break up with him? Cause it, you kind of talked about how it kind of like fizzled out. But like, oh, how yeah. did that end? Well, actually it's kind of interesting. So this was a guy that I met long distance. So we did not live near each other. We both lived in Iowa, but we lived probably an hour's drive away from each other. And our churches, which like, it is so weird even to admit, you know, to like, in the culture that we live in, I don't know, I live in like a very, like in the Pacific Northwest, there's so much atheism. There's a lot of spirituality, but there's very little like organized religion. It's, I don't know. And I, anyway, I was active in this church and it was a place of community. It's surprising, I think, to think of a church in Iowa as being a place of community. But I do always like to advocate that because it was not like conservative, right-wing, fire and brimstone insanity. It was like, Hey, we get together and like we sing and sometimes we do this and we're going to go to Alabama or Georgia, sorry, Georgia, and we're going to build some houses. It was like very chill. Yeah. I just like to preface that um, because sometimes I feel like, anyway, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> we are, our church combined with their church and we like rented this bus and like went to Georgia to build houses for Habitat for Humanity. So I got to spend a week with this kid who was like a stranger and was cute and who I liked. And it was like the opportunity to like be whoever I wanted to be. He didn't know me. I didn't know him, whatever. And so we like started to flirt. And then after the trip was over, I don't, our parents must have, well, my parents were drunk, obviously. I don't know what his parents were doing, but they let, they like let us stay. Like we were probably, we couldn't drive. So we had to have been under 16, probably 15 years old. And my parents would drive me an hour to his house, drop me off and let me stay there for the weekend. And then his parents would bring me home. And like, that sounds, like I said, I have a 13 year old stepdaughter. There is literally no way. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No way. Now I was like such a late bloomer. Like we didn't do anything except like hold hands. And like, I think he probably gave me a back massage once, but anyway, the whole thing, Hey, 15 year old back massage. So (laughs) eventually the, the whole thing did kind of fizzle out because we could only like talk on the phone. And I do remember at the end of it, just saying to him, like, I, this doesn't work for me or like just trying to be like, I'm done basically. And he was not great at hearing that boundary. Cause I remember my dad got involved because he would, this boy would call the house so much. And my dad would be like, you better tell him not to fucking call here yeah. anymore. And I'd be like, I already did, you know? And so my dad would just answer the phone and be like, she's not here. You can't talk to her. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, it fizzled anyway, because we were long, we were long distance and we were 15 yeah. and that's insane. But it also, my uh, parents were had had enough of it at that stage. So that kind of was put the kibosh on it. You know, old relationships are so easy because sometimes your parents can just break up with them for you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, my dad told me I can't see you anymore. Like, exactly. Not my fault. Like, I really do like you. I just, you know, like, yeah, I have to follow what my dad says. (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Dad, for taking one for the team. Um, all right. So Taylor and I okay. do this all the time and you know, <gasps> your book. so Taylor and I like, like these people, like, what the fuck we're talking about? Like, 
But I'm like, honestly, though, you can identify the situation. If you know the situation, yeah. you know what your code name is. All you have to do is listen. A thousand percent. It's not like I'm not, I'm like not a CIA level spy. Like I, this is not, <laughs> this is not rocket science the way that I've codenamed these guys. <laughs> right. It's not like Neither are ours. It's like, if you know the person, like, you're going to know their nickname. Like, it's not, it's not crazy. But, like, when you're using your code names, mm-hmm. like, in your book, were you, like, ever nervous that they would, like, find out that you're talking about them and they would come and Yeah, there were a couple that I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go over. And then I was like, uh, especially my first husband, um, my ex-husband, Mr. Ireland, he and I don't talk any, we don't talk really. We really haven't talked since we got divorced. Um, when we got divorced, it was suggested to me that I set a boundary with him for at least 30 days, no contact. Um, and that was really hard to do because I felt like very entitled to calling him up and making sure that he knew that I wasn't a bitch and blah, 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 whatever. Um, but I, it gave me this lesson in closure that I never really wanted, but got the lesson on anyway, which was like, we don't always get the closure that we want. So we don't always get to break up with someone and then also go back to them and say like, by the way, like, I'm not really a bitch yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> or let me convince you that I'm not right, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, so I was a little worried. He and I did eventually talk when I got a job at the city, uh, I used to work for the job that I left uh, about a year and a half ago was for the Portland police bureau um, at the city of Portland. And so the, because it was with the police bureau, they had to talk to like fucking everyone I've ever met, you know, like I was like, Oh my God, to do a background check. So they did require that he fill out a background check and he thought it was going to be so funny to say that he didn't think I should be around firearms, which is like, Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, which I know why he thought that was funny, but like I was an analyst. I was interviewing for an analyst position. Like I don't carry firearms. It's not a thing, you know, whatever. Anyway, but so um, other than that, like he and I have had no communication. And occasionally I thought like there might be some of his friends, like th- some of his friends, girlfriends or friends, wives that might pick this up because I knew them, you know, or whatever. And they may tell him. But then I thought, I, you know, the bigger, it's kind of like what I said in the beginning, the overlying thing for me is like, the reality is like, I really don't care if these guys figure out who they are, cause it's not like rocket science. If you've been there, you know who you are. Yeah. And the, the point really is not like to put their shit on blast, but to say like, this is to help someone else feel like they're not alone. Yeah, exactly. And so that kind of does get me through the anxiety of like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. What's, what's going to happen. So, yeah. You know, we definitely experienced that, especially, I mean, not that any of our stories are super crazy, but like, obviously I talk about some like, past relationships and I was like mm-hmm. oh maybe I shouldn't say this but I was like honestly though like maybe there's somebody that can relate to it so yellow yeah I feel like that gets me everywhere and honestly it's like the best way to use my story like my my experiences are valid my story is valid regardless mm-hmm. but I really I really know that I'm the most service when I share it with other people and I'm not gonna let like my ego or my fear around somebody else's fragile feelings like keep me from being of maximum service to the people who need to hear this stuff. Perfect. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about three ways to identify unavailability. One of them was emotional, Mm. emotional availability. Um, I struggled with this a lot. I only pick guys who are emotionally unavailable and I actually have no idea why or that I'm doing it until like after the fact when I figure out they're emotionally unavailable. (laughs) So how do you identify that? 
Well, I mean, I think that part of it is just knowing that you have a pattern of doing it. Part of it is starting to figure out, like I am still to this day, I'm like much better at helping someone identify like, oh, that's unavailability as opposed to this is availability, Mm -hmm. right? So like for me, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, right? Like everybody at this stage, you know, you guys are mid twenties, certainly by mid thirties, like everyone's been through some shit, you know, like everybody's got some kind of stuff and it's fine. Really, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, (laughs) It's fine-ish. It's fine-ish. Because the point is, like, if you are an emotionally available and mature grown-ass man, you will have been through some shit and found a way to kind of unpack your trauma, unpack whatever it is, and, like, talk about it in a way that's appropriate and allow it to be in your life without, uh, without it running your life, without it running your choices like with like with it in the passenger seat instead of the driver's seat. Yeah. So like the exa- like the example I give in the book is like if you go on a first date with a guy and he's like one drink in and he's like telling you about how he hates his stepdad and he can't believe his mom remarried this asshole after his dad left and blah 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 and he's 40 and it happened when he's 13, like he's not emotionally available cuz he has not figured out how to like unpack this and put it in the passenger seat. Yeah. You know, and the reality about uh, the thing that's hard about emotional availability and unavailability is it does take some time Mm -hmm. to discover. Like, it's hard to find that unless it's an extreme example, like the one I gave, it's hard to find that out on the first date. Yeah. So the point really is you're going to have to go on a couple of dates. And this was the beautiful thing that happened for me. Like I said, I finished doing this work and then it took me nine months to meet the man that became my husband. But in that period of nine months, when I went back to dating, I learned how to actually fail at dating faster. Okay. Okay. And stick with me on this because like as women, if you're, especially if you're a woman and you are ready for a relationship, like that is kind of the qualifier here. If you're like a woman who just wants to keep dating, then like do whatever the fuck you want to do. doesn't, it's fine. But if you are a woman who is like looking for a relationship, then time is your most valuable asset. And you do not have time to be wasting on these guys that are not available. So the sooner that you can Thank you. Yes. So it's like the sooner you can find out um, whether or not he's unavailable, the sooner you can walk away from someone who's unavailable. And like for me, prior to doing this work, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from that. It was like my kryptonite. Like if you were unavailable, I wanted to fix you. I wanted to go through it with you. I wanted to spend six to nine months trying to find a way, you know? And in the aftermath, I'm like, I went on a date with a guy who was unavailable. And a week later, I'm like, we're done. Yeah. Right. So I got, I got better at identifying it more quickly and I got better at walking away from it and setting it aside and going like, wow, this is a huge red flag and I don't need to try to paint this one green. I don't need to try to fix it. Like if I can set this, if I can like set this guy aside and he can fix it himself, then he can come back. He can get put back on the roster. Right. But I don't need to like pause the game for him to get his shit together. Yeah. I think I have right. a, I think I have a problem with trying to fix people, especially when I realize they're mostly mm-hmm. unavailable. I'm like, no, no, no. Like maybe it'll just change, you know, like maybe it'll change their yeah. mind. No, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I can't, I just, it's hard. It's painful and it, it is good to joke about and laugh about it, but it is painful. Right. Because I can't tell you how many women I work with that, how many clients I have that are like, I just, I want him to choose me. I want to win. I want to, I want to change them. And it's like, oh, it's hard because there is like this kind of like, I don't know if it's like a, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like a cultural thing around women where we go like, give people second chances, see the best in everyone, okay. you know? Right. But it's like, no dog, he doesn't get a second chance and you don't have to see the best in him. And he can like go, he can go do his thing and you can live your best damn life all the way over here. And then if he can get it together, he gets to come play, you know? Yep. Shout out to Mr. Muscles. No more late night texts. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Muscles. I told you to stop texting her the last time she was drunk and you didn't listen. So no Who's more. Who's getting texts from Mr. Muscles, Katie or Taylor? Taylor's getting texts. Well, actually, oh, no, Taylor likes to send the first text, especially when she um, drinks a little bit. And then it just, <laughs> it just kind of progresses from there. So I need to stop texting Mr. Muscles and he needs to stop texting me. That's right. And sometimes it means you just, the metaphor, the metaphor I use is you got to just put your phone in the freezer. You just got to shut. I mean, I don't know if you should really put it in the freezer, but you got to shut it down. Power off. Listen, the amount of times that night that I took Taylor's phone away and she got it back somehow. She's a magical magical power. I honestly think it's like... I don't even know. Maybe I need to. I just need to give you my phone. Actually, no, because I like to post on Snapchat. But I need to figure something out because this texting thing is just not working out for me. Like, well, here's actually actually what you need to do is you need to delete his information from your phone. Yeah, Sorry. There it is. I, I ended up sending him a nude that night. <laughs> oh my! Well, I didn't know I either. Didn't until know I looked that. at it today, I go, "Oh my gosh, you did not do that." And then I I deleted all the messages. I go, Taylor, you cannot look at this. You cannot look at this. You cannot look at this. Oh, I love it. Frankly, I love it. And I've been there and I just feel like I feel it. But I will say this. If you're seriously thinking like you're done texting this guy, the suggestion I always make is delete him from your phone, block him on your socials. But that is a little extreme. Some people can't hang with that. Some people aren't ready for that. So even if you're not, then just write his phone number down, give it to Katie she'll hang on to it we're actually like group friends which is really funny because we were all really really close friends and then it Uh kind of like blossomed into something else which that's Mm -hmm. a different story in itself so yeah she has his number so she has his number so if you delete it if you delete his number you can always go get it like if you really are like if you know but at least just not I just feel like getting the emotional space (laughs) and the emotional bandwidth from something like that, that's back and forth and that's chaotic and that you're not sure about. And like, and that's somebody that's not available and they're also not respecting your time, but then they're also sending you mixed messages and all this stuff. It's like just getting the emotional bandwidth back by them not even being in your phone is like so much freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I had to do that with my ex and it really, it, I mean, it honestly took me a really long time, but it, it really does give you that emotional freedom without a doubt. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, what did, so you talk about Mr. Breakfast, um, whenever mm. you moved to Denver, um, <laughs> I thought this was, I think, honestly, this was probably my favorite part of the book. Well, not my favorite part, it was like one of my favorite stories. Yeah. What exactly did he say when you showed up to his door? I mean, okay, so here's the story, right? So I had really bottomed out in, at, at, in Pittsburgh. I had really hit like this emotional and, um, horrible kind of like bottom with alcohol. And my mom was like, you can't live in Pittsburgh anymore. You have to come home to Iowa. So she drove to Pittsburgh. 
to like pick my ass up basically and drove me all the way home. Now I could not at the time believe that I was not going like directly to rehab, but she was basically like, no, we're home now. Now you live in Iowa. And so, uh, the first weekend I was home or like the second weekend I was home, I went up to Iowa city, which is like 45 minutes from where I grew up and to party. And I ran into the, and like, I ran in, I knew a bunch of people there because it's like where half of our high school went to college. Right. And so I ran into this guy who was a year older than me and he was like, you know, and I hooked up with them and I went to, we went somewhere. I don't, neither of us lived there. I don't know where we ended up. We were in someone's bed that was neither of our bed. And <laughs> so I like <laughs> fucked him in a stranger's bed basically. And then he was like, you know, it was like four in the morning and he's like, yeah, you know, I live in Denver now. And like, if you lived in Denver, I'd make you breakfast every day. And I'm like, don't threaten me with a good time. So go home, throw all my shit in my car, <laughs> drive out to Denver. <laughs> yeah. Like literally a week later, I decided I was moving to Denver, right? And so I, all my shit's in my car and I show up and he's the only address that I've got there. And I don't remember what I said. I honestly, I can't remember if I even told him, I I must've texted him and told him I was moving there. But like, I can't believe that he really thought that I was like gonna come move in with him. But I basically showed up on his doorstep and I was like, hey, I'm here. How how about some breakfast? Right? Honestly, I just, I mean- it's a crazy story, but the fact that you had like the balls to do that, like I would have, I, I that's almost a little admirable, but also like, again, it wasn't the most healthy situation, but just like the fact that you had like the balls to do that, just, it was crazy. I mean, I think part of it was that like, I did not have a lot of stability anywhere. I was yeah. kind of already in a transition. Um, all of my stuff did still fit in my car. Um, Denver did seem like kind of a nice place. A lot of people from my high school also ended up in Denver. Um, but like just to have this guy kind of put this offer out there, like I was like, sure. And I think some of that was because, um, in my disease of my alcoholism, I never really thought that much about anyone else. Yeah. I really only thought about me and what I wanted to do. And so this was like, I want to move to Denver. I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, his roommate was definitely less than thrilled that I showed up on yeah. the doorstep. Um, <laughs> cause he had a roommate <laughs> who did not like me at all. And, um, and I did live with him. I literally moved into his apartment for like probably two weeks before I found my own place. And even then I only ended up getting my own place because his roommate was like, I think his roommate probably gave him an ultimatum. His roommate, we did not get along. Right. And and for obvious reasons, like I, you know, given like, if I, if that happened, if the shoe were on the other foot, I would be like, what the actual fuck is happening right now? No, excuse me. You can't have guys show up here and move in with us. No, no, it's crazy. Crazy. Um, so I, have this problem yeah I have FOMO like honestly it's probably the worst FOMO in the whole entire world like honestly I'm switching jobs right now not just because <laughs> okay. I have FOMO that's not the only reason but you know that once quarantine is over I'm gonna have major <laughs> FOMO so how do you get rid of that like how do you kind of um okay so that? I guess my thoughts about FOMO are this um are you having FOMO about relationships or dating or you're having FOMO about everything <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually, one of the things I like, uh, a good tool for this is actually, I like to make a list 
I think this would I think this would work. I've never used it specifically for a FOMO, but I think it would work for you. So in the in the book, I talk about making uh-huh. an ideals list for your future partner. So like halfway through this work, I'm like, you know what? You should make an ideals list, and it's like an exercise in unlimited thinking. It can be as detailed as like must be six foot three and have one blue eye and one green eye and whatever, right? Like and works makes this amount of money, does this job, blah blah blah, whatever, right? And the point of doing the ideals list is actually that you flip it around and go, look, if these are the things you aspire to in a partner, that he is good with money or that he's like got a stable job, then like, how are you with money? Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a stable job? And um, like, if you, if your future partner who ideal partner is like always out snowboarding or I don't know what's the equivalent of snowboarding in Arizona is always out like hiking in cactuses. <laughs> Hiking. That's actually hiking. Yeah. <laughs> and your future guy is like, he must be a hiker. Then like, how often are you hiking? Right? Like, what are you doing? Never. I know. I'm like, Never. I would, I would rather, I would like rather get audited by the IRS than go hiking. I literally, I hate it so much. It's like, it's so funny because actually like I hate walking places. Like I would maybe, <laughs> I'd maybe consider trail running more than I would hiking because I just hate that it takes so long yeah. to get anywhere when we are walking. Yeah. <laughs> Katie tried talking to this boy one time and he was like this avid hiker and I go, Katie, are you ever going to tell him that you like despise <laughs> hiking or like how's that going to work? She's like, well, um, you're just maybe, you know, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> So I, I, so I think in some way you could make an ideals list or like a list of the FOMO, the things that you're having FOMO around, and then you could just start doing them. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Do you think that would work? Okay. I think, I'm, I, I think I'm, I mean, <laughs> might as well give it a try. But I feel like, I feel like some of that is actually related to just kind of creating the joy in our lives that we want. And like for a long time in my life, I would wait on the sidelines because like I had this huge fear of life and a huge fear of embarrassing myself and a huge fear of all this ego wrapped up in like how I would look if somebody asked me to do something and I didn't know how to do it or if whatever. Right. Um, that one of the things I do in my life today is like, I just do the things I want to do. Yeah. And like, if I want to have a huge right. birthday party with like a bunch of friends there, then I have to actually tell everyone two and months in advance, Hey, save the date. I'm throwing a big party. And then I have to send them an invite and then I have to follow up with them. And then I have to remind them, like, I have to do some work to get them there because like, that's just the kind of like society we live in. But if I do all of the things to get everyone right. at my birthday, then I get to celebrate with people that I really, really love and enjoy. So uh, my whole life, I kind of just always thought like that would just like land in my lap. Mm-hmm. kind of in kind of in the same way that I expected a husband to just land in my lap. And what I've learned today is like my job is to go out and actually live my life in the way that I want to experience it. And like those things will happen because I'm putting in the work to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So later on in a couple chapters, um, you talk about a particular time you met Mr. Dark Cloud. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how he went to jail <laughs> Um, did you ever talk to him like after he got out of jail or like how did, how did I honestly don't, I don't think I did I okay. okay so here is what happened so I was this guy was so unavailable and he was like so 
such bad news. There was like literally this very dark cloud over him all the time, but it was like so attractive to me because I remember being like, Oh my God, is he like James Joyce? Like, is he so artsy? Like, Oh God, I don't know. Um, or is he just like a bad dude? Like, I don't know what the story is. So I had been like chasing him and chasing him and chasing him for, for like probably a good month. And at one stage he had this buddy come into town and like the three of us were drinking or day drinking or whatever. And like all went back to my apartment. And I really actually thought like, Oh my God, am I going to have a threesome with these two guys? Like I, and I did have a moment where I was like, I don't think this is how people who are like just getting into threesomes do this. Like this seems like, (laughs) seems like master's level work. This does not seem like algebra 101. Like this seems like I've, skipped a few steps. Um, so, but I was like, whatever. So, um, so we all came back to my house and then actually the dark stormy cloud guy, he actually just passed out. And so then I just fucked his friend next yeah. to him. And, <laughs> God. and then the next morning I went to work cause I had work to do. And part of the facade around like my drinking and my life was like, kind of like I lived by that old adage, work hard, play hard. And as long as I was like meeting, meeting my metrics at work, then it didn't really matter like what kind of other shit was going on in my life. And yeah. part of, part of the reason I put this story in the book is because my, it, it's really a good example of like the rolling dumpster fire yeah. that my, my life was when I met a month later, my Mr. Uh, Mr. Ireland, who became my ex-husband. And with yeah. the context of like this dumpster fire, it helps you to understand why I would have thought that a guy like Mr. Ireland was like a life preserver um, in the, like an oasis. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so anyway, so I went to work that day and I'm like, work, do you know, I'm hungover and miserable. I'm at work and then work's over. And I go back to my place and like my car's gone. And I'm like, oh my God, they did still- these guys, did these guys steal my car? What the fuck? What? They're not in my apartment. There's not a note. There's like, there's not a text message. There's like nothing. And my car's gone. And I did leave the keys with them. I told them they could borrow it. Um, But I'm like, I'm going to be in such deep shit. My dad's going to fucking kick my ass. Like I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to be in so much trouble. So I like waited around and then I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? So I started drinking and I started drinking like they do in the movies. Like I was like pacing, drinking vodka from the bottle, running my hands through my hair, sighing. Like I just was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. And then- uh, the, the guy that I had had sex with, not the dark cloud guy, this other guy, he came to my apartment. He was like, Oh my God, we went to the airport today. And <laughs> Mr. Dark cloud got in a fight at the airport because he was drunk and he's in jail and I'm not from here. And I got lost. Like I couldn't find my way back to this apartment place. Cause it was like this huge apartment community I was working in. And like, you know, those places can be like total labyrinths. Yeah. Like, all the all the buildings look the same. He's yeah. like, I didn't have your phone number. And like, I just didn't know how to get back here. I've been driving around for hours. Like, oh my God. And so sure enough, I was like, well, what are you doing now? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, come on in, you know? And then I had sex with him again. Cause like, what else was I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I don't I think I that. ever talked to Mr. Dark Cloud again. I think the next morning that guy left and that was it. I was like, see ya, see you never. And then literally yeah. like three weeks later, I went to Ireland and I met Mr. Mr. Ireland who became my first husband and then eventually divorced him. Yeah. <laughs> it was a shit show. It was a real shit show. All right. So, I mean, all of our listeners know that Taylor and I are like really, really good at dealing yeah. with like There's dating. There's an like, dating fuckboy. It is yeah. us. Like, yeah. So, um, what is some advice you would give to someone who? Well, is first of all, boy? it depends. 
I mean, dating a fuckboy is what it is. And if you want to keep doing that, then that's fine, right? Like if if you're not like, if you don't want to get serious with him, if you're just like having a good time, then that's actually the perfect match, right? Because he's obviously not trying to get serious. Like I I feel like I'm just on the generationally, like I'm just on the edge of understanding what a fuckboy is. But I need to clarify that I understand a fuckboy to be like this guy, a guy who's kind of a booty call, never like isn't really great about returning messages like, you know, like kind of ghosts, but then kind of shows up again. Is that right? Yeah. Very unavailable. Very unavailable. So there's really no problem in dating a fuckboy if you are not looking for a relationship. But if you want to be in a relationship and you find yourself dating fuckboys, the good news is you always get to change your mind. So if you find yourself dating this guy who can't respect your time, I mean, I think this is a huge indicator of like, that's the first that's one of the first indicators. He can't respect your time. Like, yeah. look, everybody is fucking glued to their phone. So I don't give a shit. Unless you are a brain surgeon, unless this fuckboy is a brain surgeon, there is literally no reason why he would need to go eight hours without texting you back. Thank you. Like, Thank literally. You. I am sorry. This is, I get so, I get so fired up and so mama bear about, about people being like, well, I wanted to give him some time to text me back because he said he was busy at work. No, no, I don't give a shit. You're fu- even if you're busy at work, you're fucking looking at your phone all goddamn day. Everybody's doing it, so like, let's just put that out in the open. So this bullshit excuse of like, I don't have time, I'm working. That's bullshit. So that's the first thing. I feel like that's a huge red flag. Like if you're communicating with a guy and you're trying to make plans or something, and he waits like ten hours to get back to you, and you're trying to make plans for like that night, like that's that's a no go. That's a, we're done. You can't respect my time. You obviously are not a grown ass man. You can't roll with me. Yeah. True. You know, so I think that's a big one. And then I also really think like, you know, a girlfriend of mine used to say this, which is that um, if he likes you, you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, I think that's okay there. And maybe it's because I'm a little older than, than you ladies are. I just feel like, look, if you're ready to be in a relationship, there's nothing wrong with like being hyped on a guy and wanting him to be hyped on you. I feel like honestly, nowadays, like, we are taught, especially like our generation, we're taught that we need to like be chill, calm, cool, collected. You know, you can't be like overbearing, but you know, you you need to seem like you're not emotionally. I don't know. It's just it's weird. Yes. Like playing the dating game nowadays is so complicated. Yeah, and I think that that is actually a really challenging place to be because, like, I write about it in the book. Like, I talk about like trying to be the cool girl, where it's like my mm-hmm. feathers were never ruffled, nothing was a big deal, and like that was one of the most painful experiences of my life because I slowly gave away piece after piece after piece of myself mm-hmm. to these guys because, like, I didn't want them to think I was high maintenance. Here's the thing: I think there is nothing sexier than being confident about, like, look, I want to spend time with you, and I I want to spend time with you, and it would be cool if you want to spend time with me. And like, that's what I'm looking for in a relationship. Now, if we're just talking about fucking, that's something different. But if we're talking about getting a relationship, like, I think it's so awesome to be hyped on someone and for someone to be like so confident that they're like, I'm hyped on you too. Let's go do this. Yeah. And not. Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah. I feel like that's super hard, especially like, I know that like Taylor and I meet guys off of like mm-hmm. this website called like Hinge. And it's like a dating app where it's like, oh my gosh, these are only people mm-hmm. who want relationships <laughs> on it. Well, first of all, wrong. But um, so like, I don't like last night. I had a guy from Hinge come over, and mm-hmm. um, he was like super cool. Mm-hmm. And this is the second time that I met up with him. Um, I accidentally <laughs> slept. With but him if it felt good and you liked so, like, it, you know, like that's fine. Yeah, it's, right. it's like just like an accident <laughs> thing, you know, whatever. 
And then we were like laying there and I like took a deep breath in and he was like, what? And I was like, nothing. And like, it took me 10 minutes just to tell him that I yeah. really want to get to know him more. Like, and, it, and I don't know why I was so anxious just to tell him, but I do think that it's like, like nowadays it's like, don't tell them right away that you want to get to know them. Look, more I think, then they're I just think that out. that is like, that is this. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what part of culture has created that, but I think there's something really empowering about being like, look, I'm a grown ass woman and I'm looking for a relationship. And like, maybe that's a little too forward, right? Like maybe you don't want to say I'm looking for a relationship, but like, I don't think there's any, I literally don't think there's anything wrong with being like, Hey, look, I'm fucking dope. I'm a grown ass woman. I got a podcast. I do my thing. I'm like working on the FOMO and like, I want to get to know you better. Let's hang out next week. Right? Like you're not, I said. I'm snapping at you. That's so good, right? Because I said, I said, I'm so cool. You're cool. I said, this is these are my exact words. I said, well, I just want to let you know that I'm really cool, and I think that you're really cool, good. and I think that we should talk more and get to know each other. And he said, wow, that was really adorable, and I want to get to know you more too. And I said, oh, cool. Perfect. Well, it sounds like you guys are on your way to being in a relationship. I'll have to check back in with you in a month to see where you're at with uh with Mr. Hinge because I'm yeah. curious. Her, I just, Mr. Hinge, I just think like that's the best straightforward way to do it, right? Like and and I do think like there is something to being like to growing up, right? Like there's something being in early 20s is hard because you're like kind of in a space where some of these boys some of these boys are still boys. Oh yeah. Right. But some of these boys are becoming men. And I feel like the ones that are becoming men can like a grown ass man can hear you say like, Hey, look, I'm dope and you're cool. And like, let's hang out and not be scared by that. And like how fragile is some guy's ego or some guy to be scared by a woman saying like, let's hang. If if that's your reality, if you are seriously scared of me saying let's hang, like then you absolutely can't roll with me because you can't, you will not be able to handle what happens when I'm angry or when I'm sad or when I'm having real human emotions. So exactly. it's fine. If you can't handle me just saying like, let's hang out, then like you're actually doing me a favor by taking yourself out of the rotation. Bye. Next. On to the next. Wait, yeah. wait All right. Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. So I, so yeah. I do really feel like there is something like to being decisive about being done with a fuck boy. Just like to say, look, I've given him two chances. Like he can't show up for me. I am looking for someone who can show up for me. So sorry, it's not really you and it's not really me. It's just that you can't roll with me. So next. Yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously, you know, obviously <laughs> <laughs> my words out. Um, were there ever days that you found it harder to love yourself than others? And like, how do you kind of cope with that? Because I feel like that comes a lot with dating, is you know, like there's days yeah. where you feel like you're not good enough or you're not pretty yeah. enough. And so like, how do you kind of cope with those? Yeah, I I feel like this is um, part of the human experience. So it's good to remember that that's part of it. Like, look, the roller coaster around self-love is is a roller coaster. And some days days are better than worse. Some days are better than others. And we're human and we absorb stuff that we shouldn't or we, you know, whatever. And so actually, I will tell you, one of the things that's really useful to me is I do have a daily meditation practice. Um, It started years ago as like one minute of meditation on a timer Um, because like, I have to set a timer. I do it for three seconds and I'm like, okay, I've been here for 10 minutes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, or how many, how long has it been? How long have I been? And I'm looking at my, my phone every three seconds. So I set a timer and I do meditation. I used to do it laying down even before I went to sleep. It really, for me, it helps get me grounded into a place 
where it's just like release the bullshit yeah and accept who i am and know that nobody's opinion of me matters that like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep showing up as myself and i'm gonna do the very best that i can to be as authentic and true to myself as possible um so i think that's that's the tool i would suggest yeah okay Um, so also in your mm-hmm. book, you talk a lot about lists. <laughs> There's like a million lists. And, yeah. Um, li- yeah. So one of them, and I really, really liked this one. It mm. was the, I'm confident yeah. and I desire to be confident list. But like, while I was sitting there, I kind of paused. Yeah. And yes. I read your book allows that work. <laughs> Fight the power. So yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> and so I was like sitting there and I like kind of started making a mental list. And I think that, like, I came up with, like, maybe two or three things that I was actually confident in myself. And then there was, like, 30,000 things that I desired. I think so. My experience, and I I wrote about it in the book, too, is, like, look, I only had, like, four things that I was confident in. And two of them were related to, like, how well I cared for other people. You know, like, I just really – I wasn't a confident person. I don't know why. You know, I was, like, a heavy kid. Like, there – but, like, I just never – really loved myself until I took some space from the dating game and like learned how to learned how to love myself. And one of the cool things about that list that I desire confidence in, and I am confidence in confident in is that the, I desire side, we look at those things and we go, okay, how do I build relationships with people who have these things? Mm -hmm. So how, if there are a bunch of women, you know, if one of the things I desire confidence in is like, um, I don't know, like being an entrepreneurial woman, right? Like I always wanted to have my own business, but I didn't know how to do it. And then all of a sudden I went out and got all these friends and started having coffee with people and started connecting with people who were having women that were building their own businesses. And suddenly I have like three women in my girl gang who know how to do this and I can go ask them and I can go practice and I can come back, you know, I can build this relationship with them. So I really think that there is something to going after, there's something to identifying what you want in your, for your life and for your confidence and for your joy. And then finding other people that have that and like asking them how they did it. And then, you know, just learning more about it. Okay. Yeah. It's scary. It is really scary to be like, Oh, Hey, do you want to grab, you know, but I will say like, especially, um, when COVID subsides or like things, you know, we can like gather in spaces again. It's a little bit easier to be like, Hey, can, um, can we grab a drink so I can pick your brain about something or Hey, you know, like you can always go to happy hour. If you're, if you're sober, you have to go to coffee, which makes it a little even more awkward, but it's fine. We don't die from awkwardness. We just (laughs) like, it feels like we're going to, but we don't. Um, so you just start to put these people on your team, right. Who like have these things that you want, or like, you know, if I, um, want to know more about like how to step parent effectively, like it would help me if I had some women in my life who like, I watched them step parent and like, they're good at it and their kids are good kids, right. Like good kids, but like turn out. Okay. You know, it's like, Oh, (laughs) I should like ask them. I should like ask them how they're doing that instead of just like guessing and like hoping, (laughs) like, keeping my fingers crossed. I'm not like, you know, that my, this kid's not gonna have to go to therapy because of an argument we got in over common core math or whatever. Yeah. So like, where do you, um, like, where did you meet some of those women that you aspire? Yeah. 
Yeah. So some of them um, I have met in from, oh my gosh, it's going to sound crazy, but some of them I met in like Facebook groups that I'm part of, especially the entrepreneurial women I know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a member of like a number of local Portland Facebook groups for entrepreneurial women. And so I would find people pop up and I'd be like, oh, this woman, there's one woman who like does search engine optimization, which I've always wanted to know more about. So like went out and had coffee with her, just to, like get to know about that thing. Um, some of them are women that I know from recovery that I'm like, wow, that woman really, especially like in the step parenting realm, I have a lot mm-hmm. of access, you know, I see a lot of people doing that. So throw some of those people in the mix. So some of them are from Instagram, you know, like I get to know people on Instagram. Some of them are from like podcasting. Like I get to know women when I do this. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it just kind of is a matter of like getting some open-mindedness about like, how do I expand my circle? How do I expand my girl gang to include yeah. some people that like really have what I want for my life? Yeah. That that's I think me and Katie right. really struggle with that. We uh recently really actually we've always known. But you know, we were planning <laughs> our we're planning our birthday party and we're going through the list of like people we could invite and Katie goes, Wow, we really have no friends and I was like, <laughs> I feel like we've always known that. She goes, Yeah, but sometimes I forget <laughs> I have Taylor and then I have my friend Natasha and that's it. And some of this too is about building community around the things that you like to do. So it actually ties in really nicely to your FOMO list, Katie, which would be like, if there are things that you want to do, then you start to go do them. And like, I don't know, let's, let's continue with the hiking example, even though we know that neither of you like hike. Do either of you like hiking? I do like hiking. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, say you get more active in the, you get more active hiking because you don't, you're tired of feeling like you're missing out on it. And then like, suddenly you join like a hikers group and they're like, oh, there's all these cool people in this hiking group. I feel like, especially around like trail running, there's a lot of like running community. There are just like, I think these pockets of community that are kind of all over that we, we forget we have access to, especially at the age that you guys are at where it's like, I don't know, you're done through, you've been through university, like university is a whole nother level, a, a whole nother experience of like getting to meet new people. And then, so then you have your high school friends, you have your college friends, and then you like go get jobs. And it's like, oh my God, I don't want to be work friends with anyone that I work with, except, you know, like, I don't want to be friends with them outside of work. Really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so then it's like, well, how do I find new communities to access and be a part of? And so then it's just really about like kind of putting them on your radar and starting to look for them. Right. Step I feel like just really are the type of people that like literally go to work, come home, hang out with the same two people, <laughs> and go out to bars occasionally. That's yeah. Really I like. Um, sound. <laughs> sounds <laughs> just not in between. So maybe you know, maybe you should look into joining some clubs, Katie. Like, you can join. Just try one. Yeah. <laughs> no, not a hiking. Group. No hiking. Group. You guys should join a podcasters group. You guys should see if there are some like other cool lady podcasters in Arizona. I can think of three off the top of my head, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! Look at I I know. Know. you changing <laughs> You guys are great. This is awesome. <laughs> um. So. Um, if you guys listen to our other podcast, I forgot which one will be out, but mm-hmm. make sure you guys listen to the other podcast um, that Heidi's mm-hmm. in, but we talked about alcoholism. Um, did you ever make amends? I know that you were talking mm-hmm. about that you made amends to yourself. Did you ever make amends to the men yeah, that you that's were in Yeah, that's a tough one because, you know, there's part of you, part of me, when I went through all this work, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait. There was a certain list of men that I really like wanted to go show them how good I was doing. <laughs> 
I would love to check back in with you and just show you how hot I look, like what's going on, you know, whatever. And then there was another list of men that I was like, I will literally die if I ever have to see these guys again. So the great news was like a lot of it would have caused, I kind of live and die by this rule of like, look, I try not to do any more harm than I've already done. And so a lot of like resurfacing that stuff, bringing that stuff back up would have been painful for either me or them. So I really just got the opportunity to do something called a living amend, which is where I identified all the behaviors that were really shitty that I did in those relationships. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to do, I'm going to commit right now to doing my very best to not engaging in these behaviors again. And that's really the closest that I got to doing, uh, to amend it. And, And I actually not really. And, and that like is becomes the amended behavior is that like, you know, in my old relationships, I was manipulative, I was controlling. And in, moving forward, I made a commitment not to do that. And it was hard. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a, a behavior pattern of like being a little manipulative of like being a little sneaky, you're like, Oh God, this would all be fine. If I could just like get up in there and like puppeteer a little bit, you know, but yeah. we well, sit with this. Right. You think you know better. So, Oh, a thousand percent. And like, listen, sometimes you do, right? Like, being a woman is, you know, we know better sometimes you do, but, but it is, um, uncomfortable to learn how to be in relationships without some of these old behaviors. And just to trust that, like, even if I do know better, I'm going to let the universe kind of shake this all out. However, it's supposed to, and maybe it will shake out the way that I knew it should. Um, Mm -hmm. and you just kind of let go of the reins, you know? Yeah. Um, so whenever your stepdaughter gets older or unless you, I think you said she was like 13, yeah. Um, whoever, does she like know about your book? Are you going to talk to her about the book? Like how? Yeah, that was really challenging because she knew that I was writing a book and she, you know, she was like kind of, she was aware of the process. She knew I was having a book launch party and actually my husband and I were seeing a couple therapists at the time. And I was like, we need to talk about like, it's not appropriate material for a 13 year old. Like, it's just not, she's like super, um, emotionally intelligent. Like she's very like, you know, but it's just not appropriate. And I don't know how we navigate this because like, I want to be able to celebrate like this huge accomplishment. Um, and I don't want to try to pretend that nothing's happening, but I also don't want her to feel left out. So actually the suggestion that this therapist made, I thought was really great. I had some initial copies of the book that had her name in the acknowledgements and, um, her full, like her real name. Um, and my husband was like, you know, I just, I just don't know how I feel about having her name in the book and like, you know, and I just, I'm actually not really comfortable with it. And I was like, you know what? I can change it. So in the printed copies that are out now, her name is not in it, but I have one copy of the original proof left, um, that has her name in it and I wanted her to have it. And so when she's old enough, I'm going to give her that copy of the book that has her name in the acknowledgements and a little note about like how it's been to, to move through this. And so there will be that for her when she's old enough. But in the meantime, you know, she and I got to have a conversation where I said, look, you know, I'm writing a book. And she's like, yeah, it's so cool. I'm really excited. And I'm like, I would love for you to be at the launch event, but I have to tell you that the material that's in this book, is just a little inappropriate for your age, you know? And she's like, I get it. It's age inappropriate. It's fine. You know, she's like, (laughs) so darn cute. So I'm like, so I'm like, yeah, because, you know, it's just like a lot of bad decisions. A lot of the content yeah. is a lot of, is about a lot of bad decisions that I made. And like someday you'll understand it and it'll make a lot of sense. But it's also like a little explicit. And she's like, she was so uncomfortable. She's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's, everything's fine. <laughs> I, I didn't want to read it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I try to keep the copy, you know, I have copies of it in the house because like I mail them to places and whatever. And I try yeah. to keep those like turned over so she can't see the full title, but I'm, yeah. but you know, she's, she's on the internet. She's on Instagram. I'm sure that she's seen, you know, yeah. um, but luckily she's not really that interested in it. And even when she's 18, she may not give a shit about it. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it may not actually be a big deal yeah. at all. <laughs> Right. Um, so we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but what exactly oh. does your exercise? Yeah, no, I was really glad when I saw this question come across because, um, what, it, what it looked like in, it has morphed and changed, but, um, in the beginning it looked like, um, I did this mantra. There were two mantras that I really liked. One of them was this just like kind of, I think it's six or seven more. it was surrender, 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 release, let go, surrender. And so I would just find myself out trail running or whatever, exercising on the treadmill, on a spin bike or whatever. And just like saying to myself, as I breathe in, surrender, surrender, surrender. And as I breathe out, release, let go, surrender. And then there's another one that I like, which is redirect my energy, guide my thoughts and actions. So that was another one that I have run so many miles to that, where I just end up kind of breathing in, redirect my energy and breathing out, guide my thoughts and actions. So I love the idea of just like some breath-based, mantra-based exercise and meditation. Um, I just think they really go hand in hand pretty well. I love the surrender one. Like mm, I, yeah. I, I am a control freak. I need to surrender a lot of things. Like it's mm-hmm. I can't control everything in life. Like Katie knows That's- this. I'm, I'm a huge control freak. And mm-hmm. I, I it's really bad so you got to get a little tiny hula hoop and you're only allowed to control what's in your hula hoop and then at night you do a one minute timer on your phone while you're lying down as you're going to bed and you just go you breathe in surrender 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 and you really breathe out release let go surrender and you start just doing it for a minute every night and then like some one day you're like damn that minute went so fast they're like yeah i'm ready i'm ready to do two minutes now (laughs) i definitely need to try that I need to start. I need meditation. Like Like meditation helps a lot of people. I will also say that guided meditation is great. So I love using the Headspace app, but there's like insight timer, calm. There's millions of them. I, I think it's so important to just acknowledge that like, I don't think anyone who starts trying meditation starts out like a Buddha and just like their brains, (laughs) they just sit there with nothing on their brain. Right. It's like, it's totally like a, it's totally like a, like a circus up in my brain. So it's like, even when I just calm down, like all of a sudden my brain's like this, 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 you know? So it's like guided meditation is where it's at. And if you can do guided meditation every night or every morning or every day over your lunch break for two to three minutes, and then like slowly bump your time up, I guarantee you, you, you will behave differently in your life just because you're grounded and centered in that. So funny that you had that conversation. I was literally talking to um, high school I was talking to him about that and he was like meditation I was like oh I'm terrible at meditation he goes no one is good at meditation (laughs) (laughs) um so oh yeah so what were your feelings when you first got into the dating scene like were you nervous Yeah. I mean, definitely going back to dating after doing all this work, like I said, I felt very entitled. So I felt like, okay, I'm ready for my boyfriend now. And, um, and I dated a a string of guys that were bad, like that sucked like Mm -hmm. that. And I talk about it in the book and I, the only silver lining to that was that I learned to trust myself. I learned, I had learned to trust my instincts and I learned to fail faster. And so, you know, when I was out with this guy who was like, Hey, how come, you know, how come we, you know, 
he wanted to fuck and I, I had decided I didn't want to. And he was like, come on, what's the worst that can happen? And I'm like, oh my God, what's the worst that can happen? Like, <laughs> First of all, not like not a strong open, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Like that's, that's yeah. like, I, I'm already like hard pass. But yeah. what's the worst that could happen? You know, like you could like murder me and like stuff me in an oil drum and no one would ever see me again. Or you could like mm-hmm. give me a disease or you could get me pregnant. Like there's a lot of bad things. Yeah. Yeah. And in my old, in my old life, I would have probably just acquiesced and slept with them. But in my yeah. new, in like this new perspective I had, this new confidence I had, I found myself yelling that at him as I picked my shit up and walked out the door, right? That was a big deal. And not only that, after I got in my car and drove away, I deleted his phone number. So wow. it, it wasn't like I spent weeks or months going back and forth, like, what should I do with this guy? Should I, shouldn't I? Da, da, da. It was like, no, this guy's no good. He does not like no good, like he's a bad guy. Just like, yeah. he's not good for me. And like, I'm not going to waste my time with it. Bye. Yeah. So that was, I think, the most interesting experience when I returned to dating was like this really like new confidence of like, look, I'm here to find a relationship and my time is valuable. And if you cannot respect that, that's already a good sign. That's a good enough sign to me that we're not going to be compatible. And the other thing that I really love, my girlfriend, Sandy, used to say this all the time. And I think it's amazing. She is a big proponent of like time is our most valuable asset. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, when you go shoe shopping, like you don't fuck with shoes that you don't like. You don't fucking try on shoes that you're like, eh. Like it's you love a sh- you love a shoe, you try it on. So I don't know why in our dating lives we go like, oh, but if you go to the fifth picture, he's like kind of cute. And like, look, he has like two dogs and they're like really cute. And like, look, he's, you know, like, and if you squint, but like, he's kind of like, no, we only put people on the roster who light our hearts on fire. We don't fuck with shoes we don't like. We don't go out with guys because they have two cute dogs. I have to read that my motto. Don't. We don't fuck with shoes we don't like, so. <laughs> Bye. So I was going to say, tattoo. it should really go ne- right next to the everything's fine. We don't fuck with shoes we don't like. I'll put a <laughs> shoe right next to everything's fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, how was your relationship with your husband different than all the yeah, other Yeah, this is a beautiful question. So one of the things that I, and I actually don't write that much. I, in the book, I talk a little bit about how we met and whatever, but my husband is, is an extreme introvert. So yeah. I always feel so lucky that he's like, I'm always like, babe, I'm going to go talk about you on a podcast. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, but he, he really would much rather live in a world where his shit was not all on blast. But yeah. I will tell you, one of the things that's really, um, that I have discovered about relationships and about this relationship in particular is that I really feel like in order for relationships to work, they have to have two, the two R's. What, the first thing is they have to be resilient. And so I never was willing to test if any of my relationships were resilient because I was always so afraid that they weren't. Mm -hmm. Meaning like that my relationship, I have to start to trust that my relationship can withstand a disagreement. It can withstand me coming to my husband and saying like, I'm pissed off about this. It can withstand me saying like, I feel threatened. I feel jealous. Like that, that stuff won't make my relationship crumble. And in previous relationships, I was never willing to surface with that stuff because Mm -hmm. I always felt like it's going to crumble. Yeah. Everything's, everything's going to fall apart. The second I say I'm dissatisfied with something. So I always just kept my feelings. I always just stuffed everything away. And my partner, my partners then never really got a chance to really know me because Mm -hmm. I was never really being honest with them. So the first thing that my relationship has taught me, I've learned so much about resilience in a relationship and that it's like a requirement. And 
the other thing um, that I think is a requirement for relationships is reciprocity, which is that like both of us come to the table. So, you know, both of us surface to say, hey, I'm angry about this or, hey, I'm mad about this or, hey, like this didn't land right or whatever it is. And, you know, it's important that both of us are doing that, not just him and not just me, you know. So um, as far as like just to put it as succinctly as possible, like that is those are the the two R's are really the key to our relationship. That's perfect. I I think those are really two great things I think as far as like the resilience like I find myself not wanting to like and and this is like weird for me to say because if you know me at all I am the most confrontational person you probably will ever meet but in relationships like I do not like to like I'm not like I I'm scared about resilience you know I'm say I'm upset about something so yeah and some of that is like about people pleasing some of it for me was about like some coping skills that I learned as um a kid who had alcoholic alcoholic parents but some Mm -hmm. of it also was just like a pattern of behavior that I'd been engaging in for so long that like I didn't really know how to I had to practice it and the best place to practice it was like with my girl gang actually so it was so important that I had women in my life who I trusted and who I loved because like that was where I started to practice communicating stuff that like I really felt uncomfortable communicating like oh I'm I've never felt good about being like that hurt my feelings or I'm jealous or whatever. Right. And I, I got to practice with women in my life first and the stakes felt a little lower when I was doing that. So that when the time came to, to say that stuff to my husband, who I was madly in love with, I was like, okay, this isn't the first time I've said this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know how to, I know how to say this sentence. Right. Um, and so having a practice ground, of course, having women friends is valuable for so many other reasons too, but it was truly, um, a very safe place to practice communicating for me I love that um so you know we're it's coming to the end do you have any other advice that you would like to share about loving yourself about dating like anything else gosh I just I don't know I'm we've talked about so much stuff over the course of this episode thank you so much for having me and like for seriously giving I mean we've talked for letting me talk at length um (laughs) I just think um you know, no matter what you're going through, you are not alone. You're no matter. I literally, I know that sometimes it feels so dark and like, Mm -hmm. you're the only person in the world experiencing whatever it is. And I just would always encourage anyone who's out there suffering in their relationships to remember you're not alone. Go find a podcast, go find someone on Instagram, go find anyone and just reach out and let them know that you're suffering. Because Mm -hmm. the first thing that we can do to kind of end our suffering is to like, just acknowledge and say it out loud to someone like, this is painful for me. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a, Yeah. yeah, I think that's powerful. So that's, that's the last piece of advice I would have. I love that. Well, thank you for letting us interview you. Thank you for letting us pick your brain about dating. Oh my God. It was such a pleasure. I, I just love the two of you so much. Thank you for reading the book. Thank you for having me. And you guys can find me on Instagram. I'm at honeybee52. And then once you find me there, you can find all the other stuff. Yeah. Make sure you guys follow her. Okay. (laughs) Not that that they'll answer, you know, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) Yeah. We'll right, make sure you put guys. all your info in there. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Just as we promised, we kept it real, raw, and relatable. If you liked this week's episode, give it a share, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and give us a follow on Spotify. See you guys next Sunday. Bye.